welcome to Zero Hanger TV, big episode, grand final preview. I am your host, being Trinidad. I'm also joined by uh, two people this week. So, Mitch Keating, AFL Chief Editor. Hello. Hello. And we've got Jack, our AFL reporter. How you going, mate? Good. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. I'm excited. I've never had three people at the desk. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's kick it off. We're going to go through the. We're going to do a grand final preview. We've got the biggest talking points coming into the granny predictions, MVP, uh, player movement, and of course, we're going to finish with the mailbag. So let's get stuck into it. So, grand final preview Brisbane, Collingwood. We know the story. Um, but how did both teams get here? So we're going to start with uh, you, Jack. So uh, Collingwood. Yeah, a really strong season, obviously. A um, few different times they went on pretty big winning streaks throughout the year. Um, I think the big question for them was coming into the finals and sort of their form. They entered the finals three and three with their last six games in the ring season. So there's a bit of question about their form just heading in, but they've had a really strong year overall, and that was sort of powered by some of those off-season additions they made. Obviously, Tom Mitchell, Bobby Hill, Dan McStay, and Luke Johnson all coming in at the start of the year. And they've all had pretty significant impacts, especially back this year. We see two of those guys have been the kind of the focal point of Collingwood's sort of grand final week story in terms of, obviously, McStay's out, and now Frampton plays a massive role come Saturday. Yeah. And Brisbane, for you, down there, Mitch. Yeah, well, some good form coming in. I think what they knocked off St Kilda, knocked off Collingwood, more importantly, um, down in Melbourne. It wasn't at the MCG, though, which is, is uh, an asterisk in their 2 and record against the Pies this year, but that's certainly some confidence the Lions take into this one. Uh, they beat St Kilda, another top eight finishing side. So that was some good form carrying into it, and handled Port Adelaide with some comfort at the Gabba, and then uh, obviously last week against Carlton as well to keep their, their record at home perfect, but their record of the MCG this year, 0-2. Uh, I think we mentioned the show earlier this week that this will be their, yeah, their third game in the MCG for the season, and Collingwood are playing their 16th or 17th, which is their home, home ground. But that's kind of that lopsided advantage some Victorian clubs will get with um, the grand final being held at the G each year. And then from, yeah, from this perspective, um, and, and I guess kind of what moves they made heading into the season to kind of better themselves and, and go an extra step or two was obviously the, the acquisition of Josh Dunkley is huge for them. Um, you know, moving on a few, few you know, top picks to get him um, and then being one of the bigger names uh, in the offseason last year, that was a massive recruitment for a side already going for, for a flag. Uh, and then Conor McKenna's just been a smart acquisition. Uh, obviously, there's a few clubs after him and, and getting him through the SSP for cheap um, has turned out to be really, obviously, um, fruitful for them when you look at their back line and, and him and Kitty Coleman and Dusty Wilmot kind of going past Daniel Rich throughout the year. Um, uh, so, yeah, on top of that, you look at maybe the draftees and Wilmot being one of them from two years ago, um, debuted in the finals last year and then played a full season this year with Jasper Fletcher um, in the back half of the season after making his debut as, as and his spot in starting uh, 22. And then, uh, unfortunately, without Will Ashcroft, but... Um, he was, you know, second or third highest pole there in the ground low, um, and you've got Lockie Neal um, taking it out. Um, so that just kind of shows the role he was playing um, before his season-ending injury. So, uh, yeah, I think they added some pretty decent-sized names. Jack Gunston's another one who, who won't be playing, or is unlikely to be playing, but um, they've got some good experience in there and some good mix of young players that have kind of put them in this position that they are in now. Yeah, exciting stuff. So, um, speaking of who is playing, so Frampton is confirmed to be playing for Collingwood. Yeah, comes in for, for Damage State, probably the only change um, that you can really see coming. Um, and obviously, he'll play forwards. 
did so training today and was strong enough and to come out against Dustin Moore, Nathan Murphy, um, showed some good signs and, and yeah, there'll be a bit of pressure on him to kind of help lead that forward line, whether he's next to Darcy Cameron or Mason Cox and Brody Mycheck. Um And yeah, as, as Jack said before, he was a bargain pickup for them, a, a player that, that can really play anywhere. And that's what Craig McRae said on one of the reasons why they brought him in is he can play back if they need him to. And, you know, he could be used to be switched up with someone like Jeremy Howe. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's his first final as well. So first final, yeah, yeah great. Interesting, interesting way to uh, to kind of make your first final appearance. Obviously, just about everyone else played um, last week or uh, the week prior as well. Uh, and then yeah, from a, from a sub perspective, this actually probably it's not settled. You'd think um, Jack Dinnan still probably be favourite to have it. You got John Noble. They could be someone like Patrick Lipinski to the sub role and start. Again, like even or moving over Australian and, and Ginnivan gets overlooked, but um, from what we know, yeah, Frampton's in next day's out, I uh, just can't play, and um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to look to see how well Collins forward half yeah. performs. Yeah, it's a cool story. I love those um, like a debut in a final. Like obviously, Marlon Pickett back his first game was the, was the granny, but uh, so Jack, the dynamic between Gardner, Payne, Frampton, next day. What do you got there? Yeah, really interesting. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, Frampton's in. Um, the other side of the ball in terms of the lines is in terms of Jack Payne, his injury. So those are those two stories on either side, injury-wise coming in. So Jack Payne is looks to be getting put through his paces today at Lions uh, main training. So the final session for the head over. Um, so his status should be determined some stage today. Um, otherwise, it'll be Darcy Gardner who holds this place. Um, in the Lions back line, that's all just interesting dynamics because then we talk about Frampton as well coming in, he's playing that forward line. So these guys are all going to sort of face each other. It's just going to be, you know, I think the dynamics are quite interesting and it would really sort of decide, um, I guess, the game really in terms of essentially, obviously, also just Collingwood's forward line and how it's dealt with by the Lions. If Gardner stays, I think he was pretty solid against the Blues last weekend. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's get into the predictions of fun stuff. I love making a big call. You actually had a pretty good call uh, when it came to the Brownlow preview with you picked Gordon as your smoking. You actually did end up coming fourth in that one. Yeah. Um, so congrats, mate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't say the same about your take. I mate. Um, yeah, well, he, fourth. Yeah, he did drop, but I did take Neil the second, and then he ended up winning the whole thing, so I'll, I'll take that. That's not bad. That's all right for you. Yeah, straight up guess. All right, so uh, let's get into the predictions for the granny. So winner and margin. I Speaking of what I think is going to happen versus what I want to happen, obviously I want uh, the Lions to absolutely smash Collingwood, but I think it'll be the Pies by about three goals. I think it's going to be tight up until maybe three-quarter time, whoever has the momentum coming in three-quarter time, but I think it's going to be the Pies by three. What do you got, Mitch? Yeah, uh, if I'm saying what I want to happen, just a, I'm just after a close game. I'm not probably leaning towards either side favourably. Um, but I've got fives by 11, a couple of kicks in it. Um, I think what will work in Brisbane's favour will be the weather. If we're going to kind of pinpoint something that, that can kind of impact um, two clubs separately and work in favour of the lines, it'll be you know, 29 degrees at the MCG. Um, you know, it's been you know, pretty hot lately, even at uh, in Melbourne when the Pies have played, but... Um, They've been playing at night, though, too. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's the same. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how they're prepared. Um, obviously, the training track today was, was scorching as well, and has been for the last few days when they've been out there, but, um, yeah, I'll, I'll see the Pies hold on. Come yeah. kicks there, yeah. Yeah. And you're tipping the Lions? Yeah, the Lions won't go. I think it's a close one either way. Um, I think just, you know, the Pies, they just love playing these close games. I think it's... They can't really escape it. Um, obviously, Lions, like you said, mentioned with the other hand, over the Pies 
couple of times I played this season. Um, I just think they might get over the top um, in the ends, or it's a guess. I also have to see a close game, um, so I find another way. Yeah. All right, and uh, Norm Smith, I've got Dugowie, just based on, he's had a pretty good final series so far, and then you look back at 2018, had a pretty massive game um, in that loss to West Coast. Uh, who have you got for Norm Smith, Mitch? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on probably why this will be uh, the case in a little bit later on, but Darcy Moore, I've got probably just leading from the back. Um, he'll be a pretty big presence for him, a big influence on Whitehall, you know, I think. Yeah, Jack? I uh, like the Neil off the back of the ground low, I can't really see anyone from the Pies really sticking that close to him every time Mitchell bodies up on him. Um, but I just think he's going to be able to break this at some stage on Saturday. Do you reckon he'll get a tag or a lot of attention put on him? Yeah, interesting. The, the Pies mark, or the, the lines work the other way, I think I'm focusing on to go eat, But um, yeah, hard to see how the Pies kind of worked out. But if there is yeah, one guy's probably going to be Tom Mitchell just working a bit under him if he can. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if we're picking a dark horse, Norm Smith, um, I've got Quainer. Uh, he's been um, really good. Not underrated. A lot of the Pies fans have been raving about him all year, but I think he's um, he could have a big one. I think. Yeah. yeah. No, if he takes the job, Charlie Cameron and kind of locks him down, and mm-hmm. that's the difference in the end. And um, it'll be interesting to see if that's how the vote pollers uh, kind of favour the backman, and um, that'll be good. Yeah, and for me as well, I've got Jeremy Howe. So similar to obviously the the more pick, I think it's going to come down to. Um, yeah, how Collins' backline holds up, but if he also gets thrown forward, it, it could be a difference in, in how they um, go on the scoring side of things. And if he's that kind of catalyst in the game, then he could be favoured there as well. Yeah. Dark Horse, Norm Smith? McCluggage for me. So I think we'll see most attention will go to like Neil and your Dunkley and even Charlie Cameron in terms of guys who can really be expected in Zach Bailey. But then I think someone who's really unsung in that line as we feel sort of half forward line is McCluggage. He's been able to play at sort of high half forward role as well as the inside mid. And I think he just unlocks so much as a sort of link up going forward. Um, and I think we talk about that because with the Lions front third ball movement. So I think it'd be pretty key for the Lions. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, so where do we think the game will be won and lost, Mitch? Yeah, so this is what I was kind of saying before with tipping my uh, more for the norm. I think with what Collingham's backline's been able to withhold over the last couple of weeks and, and maybe more so against the Demons in week one. Um, you know, low scoring games, and they've kind of said this week, look, we're happy to just keep it low scoring as long as we're the highest score. And I think, you know, we look at the Lions, they're the number one team for accuracy and moving the ball inside their forward third. So um, if the Pies stand up and can kind of overcome that duress uh, from the opposition's attack, then it's going to be their, their back line. That mix of Collingwood's back line and then Brisbane's forward third ball movement that will probably decide this game, I'm, I'm thinking. Um, and that's probably why I've got the likes of Moore or, or Howe as my tip for the Norm Smith. Yeah, and Jack, what do you reckon? Yeah, so bounce for me is where it's going to be running up when I lost. Um, like we said, those matchups, thinking probably to be Dunkley on Dugowie, um, Mitchell on Neil. So I don't think those are massive matchups in terms of determining sort of who's going to win it at the source to begin with. Obviously, clearance is going to be huge. Um, so I think, or like really, who's going to win the clearance battle and um, who's going to get into the, into the fourth half is going to be pretty key. I think more so than anything else. Yeah, um, you guys are thinking pretty strategically. For me, I think the game's going to be won and lost purely just on the vibes. You know, who comes into the game special. with a big, with the best vibe. I think Granny's especially just throw everything out the window. Whoever's got the best vibe will win. Yeah. It'll probably fall Collingwood's way. I just love how they go about their pre-game. Yeah, so happy, excited, 
ready for it. Don't look at touch nervous at all. Yeah. Um, and obviously it helps when you've got a, a really heavy crowd you know, mm. waiting for you to come out and where you know, that probably won't work in the line's favour. So if you are going on five, I think that might be more. Pure vibe, yeah. yeah. And all, all whose banner survives. Yeah, for the start, make or break. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So in terms of uh, stats that matter, so uh, the stats are important for Hey Granny, obviously, and Ryan Sachs will be uh, wrote a nice article at Zero Hangout. Um, did you want to explain that one? Yeah, so we're just kind of looking at obviously some of the, the key areas for uh, oh, for every game, and you're looking at the contest in the air, um, you know, who's in ball movement, and then looking at the key guys from each side. So when you're talking contest, you're talking about the midfielders in the air, maybe is it a focus of you know, forwards and their impact, or, or maybe it's defenders locking down. Um, on top of that, yeah, moving the ball. So who are going to be the, the guys that you wanted in their hands throughout the day? And that's something that I think has decided a few finals so far this series. Talking about the forwards and the spot and who's going to be the, the difference maker for, for some of the forward groups and then maybe an unexpected hero. Who each grand final, you usually see guys you know, step up um, and you can um, and, and be a difference maker or a big influence on the game when they maybe they haven't been that player throughout the season. Talking about... Um, Guys like Brian Lake a decade ago in, in that final win for, for the Hawks. Um, there's always going to be a few here and there that pop up. Jason Johansson had a great 2016 season, but um, went to a, you know, a new level in the back end of that year and, and was kind of an unexpected hero in a premiership run. So there are a few of the, few of the names. And then I think you talk contest, and, and as you mentioned before, Lockie Neal and Tom Mitchell might be the two. Um, you know, the best kind of clearance in and under players that are going to really work hard <clears throat> to get their side of first disposal. So that's probably... Um, the two names to kind of look out for, while Mitchell probably isn't, you know, a star or, or one of the top three midfielders for the Pies, I think he could be um, kind of that game changer element. And if he's performing well, then usually the, it's the same for the Pies. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so that's all the predictions for the Granny. Exciting stuff. Uh, we're going to move over now to the finals MVP. So do you just want to do a quick reminder how the Zero Hangout finals MVP is uh, calculated? Yeah, so same as, uh, as our regular season uh, MVP. So we'll, we'll have four voters, Jack and myself included, um, putting down 5 4 3 two, one. So max votes is 20 um, for a you know, unanimous best on, on ground. So that's worked from each finals game so far. So you look at... So Carlton and GWS went a long way, so that they've had some benefit in playing three games, where this will be Collingwood or Brisbane's third game themselves. Um, and just a quick look at the leaderboard. Sam Walsh is on top at 41 votes um, after a you know, very strong first two games and even was um, you know, quite prolific in, in the preliminary final loss. Tom Green and Josh Kelly similar. So that's why at the moment now a leaderboard probably favours two sides that aren't playing um, this week, and then you've got um, still side bottoms up there uh, and the chance, and, and Hugh McCluggages as well after both polling in previous finals appearances. But for the grand final, it'll be double votes, so not doesn't necessarily mean just because uh, 40 votes could be up for grabs anyone that anyone can win it. So with Sam Walsh at 41, you, you would have had to have polled already this postseason to be a chance. Um, so on top of the guys like McCluggage and side bottom, I think there's Dugowie Coleman, Dunkley, Danaher. Rainer, Quainor, uh, Bobby Hill, Hoskinalia, some of the guys that performed really well over the, the first week in preliminary final games from both the Lions and Pies are a chance. Certainly would be Sam Walters for the taking, I think, at this rate, um, unless there's uh, a player who's already performed quite well is unanimously voted best on from all four. So there's a bit to play out. Um, I, mean, I think Walsh will probably hold on. It's going to, like, to go, like you said before, um, certainly one of the favoured players. With Nick Dacos not having played, he's... he's pretty much no chance of, of taking it out with just one performance after I don't think he pulled quite high or high enough um, in, in his one performance so far. So 
Um, yeah, if I'm going to tip anyone from the weekend to kind of take the lead, it would be to go in. Um, but I, I think Walsh will hold on. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Like, as, as two guys that get to vote in it. I, was like, going, I can't really put a tip in because I'm not voting. <laughs> yeah, I don't get to vote. But um, what's been the standout for you, Jack, in terms of... Oh, have you guys been, like, unanimously agreeing on players or...? It's been a, it's a bit of a mystery. It's been a couple, yeah. Yeah, I think Coleman was almost unanimous. And then, obviously, um, the other game, I forget, but we had it unanimous... Well, Dugowie got 20. Yeah, no, correct. It was Dugowie and Coleman didn't quite get there, but there have been a few where we have almost been unanimous. Um, I think still Sarbon was a bit of a smoky here, just in terms of his ability to potentially win an all strip as well. I think he's another sort of dark horse candidate or the award, in which case, if he's able to kind of put forward a, you know, far and away sort of best on ground, he can actually take it. Um, he's a good final spot. Like, final spot, I think, yeah. took out Carriers in, in 2018. Uh, Cole six votes against uh, GWS and our MVP, and, and I think that added to 16 he got the week in week one against the Ds. So he's had a good final series. Yeah. Um, he probably hasn't been like super prominent, at least throughout the back half of the home and away season, but he's sort of come up a bit in this sort of final series, and I think he's a chance. He puts forward a good, good performance to kind of get on top of Walsh, but yeah, it's hard to have anyone else in the box seat other than Sam Walsh at the moment. Yep, absolutely. Well, all the best to Sam Walsh. I hope he holds on uh, for the MVP. All right, let's get move over to the bit of trade and player movement, uh, stepping away from the finals. So, Jordan has nominated uh, Sydney for where he wants to go. I'm not upset about it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, look, fair enough. He's not really getting a, um, a solid game, and he's, I think he's too good to not be getting a game every week. Um, but Sydney's an interesting choice, so is he a good fit there? Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I think so. I, I don't know like, if he's walking into that, that best side, but he's a player that's still got um, some untapped potential, I think. I, Demons probably didn't want to lose him, but because he's a free agent, that's, that's probably the case of why he kind of gets to exercise that right. And, it's because he was delisted, not because he's, he's been on the list long enough. So yeah. once you're delisted, um, and the next contract that, that kind of, or when you next come out off contract or with the editor after that, and you are eligible as an unrestricted free agent. So that, that gives him that, that ability to walk to the Swans. And, and they just want someone, I think, that can work in and under a bit more or, or give them some versatility on kind of all three lines of midfield, can play on the wing, can be, be that first ball user, and can be the, that link-up player in between. So. They've got Chad Warner as uh, and Errol Goodman as both of these two explosive players. They've got James Robotten, who's this hard-nosed, defensive-minded midfielder. Luke Parker's obviously still getting runs through there, but Jordan, I think, can fit a role where he is that in and under first four years. I can get it out to a, a Warner or a Goulden. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, he's, he's not going to wow, I don't think, um, but he's going to get opportunity, which I think he's yeah, starved up a little bit. Um, and it's going to be a, a bit of a blow for Melbourne's depth, obviously. They lose Harms, they lose him. Um, and, you know, if they lose Clary for another 12 weeks or someone for another 12 weeks like they did this year, then they can certainly open up some holes in Melbourne's midfield. But um, but it's going to be a good move for him. I think he's a Sydney Swans fan as well, so he'll be quite happy about that. And, and yeah, most importantly, he's probably going to be getting a starting role um, under John Longmire. Yeah, I think that'll be quite fun yeah. for him. Especially with, uh, with Mills out now for well, that, that's a while for as well, yeah. a bit too much uh, wrestling, you know, yeah. a bit too much jujitsu. Uh, so Jack, Richmond, uh, are they, they're on a Uze, it's off to uh, coach, so are they in a bit of a crossroads with their list now? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, you've got quite a few senior players from sort of that dynasty period that are sort of heading towards the end of their careers. Obviously, we've overseen the um, retirements of Conchonary well, so it's going to be a lot of sort of change, I think, in terms of the list. It looks like they're going to be bringing in Hawthorne um, board Jacob Kaczynski. Um, he's requested a trade, so that's one sort of surefire addition they've made. I think it's more about sort of what other moves they'll make as well because they're a bit short on draft capital after having traded for um, Tim Toronto and Jacob Hopper last year. So a little bit shorthanded in terms of their manoeuvrability, but I think there will be decisions that have to be made. Um, there are players under the microscope for sure, some of those older players like Dylan Grimes. Josh Gibb is a really young player, but he hasn't played, he didn't play all of his season, um, promising first season, but a bit of question marks around sort of him and some of the guys from that draft class in terms of sort of actually now really showing their promise in more of like consistent patches as opposed to just here and there. Um, so a few things that will be sorted out, I think, over over courses off-season for Richmond. You happy with the Kuzitsky? Do you think it's a good move? Like they need a forward, but is he? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I feel like he probably wasn't their first choice. I think if I had to guess, they would have been into Jake Riccardi had he not re-signed the Giants. Um, I don't mind taking a shot at him. He's not going to cost a lot trade-wise. Um, and Richmond were without Tom Lynch for a lot of last season, and I, I think his impact, uh, sorry, his presence is going to be a massive impact once he comes back. And to sort of pair with him, I think because he can't play under, under Lynch might be good for him. Um, he's definitely going to get a run. So yeah, it's about making most of his opportunities right now. Yeah, it'd be interesting like Jacob Bowles and um, like showed signs, but can't probably let a forward on yet. So could yeah. be that bridging gap between him and, and Lynch? Um, and yeah, some of those drafters, like you said, only from 2021. Duke is a big fan, but just hamstring is obviously a big concern for him. But when he thought some guys like Tom Brown, Sam Banks, Tyler Sons, he probably faded a little bit um, compared to his first year. How have you kind of rated those? Yeah, it, it took a while for Brown to finally sort of get into the fray in terms of senior action. It took until last game of the season. Um, obviously, Sam Banks, Judson Clarks, those guys have had a few runs now on, I think, those guys sort of struggle with consistency at this early stage, but you're sort of looking for them to kind of, kind of make bigger jumps now, next season, having been drafted in 21. Um, but I do think, because they had five guys from that draft within the first like 30 selections, so they've got a lot of a lot of talent there that's sort of still, still sort of rising through, and I think next year could be when we start to see that really come to come to the top. Obviously, Tyler Sonzi as well, um, he ended his season pretty poor fashion, with a, you know, hitting the VFL, so he didn't have a season really wanted to either. But I think with, you know, some of those retirements, older guys just getting older again, this next year, um, there is going to be more scope for them to kind of really make a name for themselves. Yeah, probably not. I think Marvel Scholes probably one of the better guys you should be targeting, but I don't think he's going to be coming back to Punt Road. So. Probably not. Yeah. Dimmer just does not like Charles. Why don't, yeah, I, I don't really, can't really speculate, but it doesn't sound great when he's heading up there and then Scholes now, yeah, looking maybe on the move despite having two years on his deal. So yeah, who knows? So back on so back on who's and are they so where are Richmond at? Are they in a sort of rebuild or are they sort of topping up and rebuilding as you go like a Sydney? Like what's in store for who's? I think um, more of like a retool was sort of what they were going for, especially with the trades they made last season. Yeah. It, it, it's hard for them to make those trades last year and then kind of go full scale rebuild this year. So I think it was a bit of a retool last year going forward again. Um, I, I still think that that should challenge for finals next year. Yeah. I, I think the Tom Lynch absence is bigger than people realise. Just his presence 
it's not just a marking target, but a guy that can bring the ball to ground. Um, it's, something, it's, it's a real crafty learn type Jack Rewell. And obviously, you bring in a second key for Kaczynski. Um, like I said, Jacob Bauer, there are guys who can sort of, whose burden is lifted just by the return of Lynch. Um, you get a few more guys healthy. Um, if Gibkis can come back, you know, you get some jumps out of those younger guys again. Um, if if Uze can sort of build an earlier rapport with the, with the playing group of Brones well as well. Mm. So I think they should challenge the finals. Um, definitely not a given, but I don't think they'll be down the very bottom. Yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if they, they would have bottomed out, not without this. Um, but yeah, so the Cats and Port, they put some picks on the trade table, Mitch. Yes, and Rackies confirmed that they're open to, to parting with pick seven. Um, but they want something pretty decent. Now, I don't know if that's a player or if that's just more picks, but they, they obviously uh, open to it. I think they might be end up carrying it into the draft anyway. Um, that pick seven though blows out to pick eleven or something. And if you're the cats, and kind of what you want to be focused on is, is the future. They, they they rebuild pretty well. Rebuild is, is probably the term Jack used quite well. Retool pretty well, but um, they'll be needing to make some sort of splash with a contract player like Bailey Smith, who they've shut down anyway. So uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what's going to be offered to them from a playing point of view and, and that kind of talent um, on the trade table, but it'd have to be picks. Maybe they're just trying to work themselves into multiple first round picks rather than just a single one. And maybe they'd like some players who are in, in that back end of, of the first round. Um, this year's class looks like a kind of top 12 to 15 standout. And then after that it can tail a little bit. So maybe they, they're happy to just look at maybe you know, getting a couple of late or mid team picks for, for pick seven. Um, like I said, it's going to push out to, to a few selections anyway with match bids, uh, compensation, and all the like. So um, it's going to be interesting to get yeah, what they do. And then Porter, the other one, who could be training. And obviously, they've got a busy trade period ahead of them anyway with Radical Air, Jordan Sweet, um, Surf Thatcher, all trying to get over there. And they just don't have the capital at the moment, it seems, to, to be able to kind of guarantee deals. Because Scott's even said he doesn't see Radical Air's deal getting going through. It seems like you know, just about every request Usually, if you're on off contract, you, you'll be you'll be finding your way somewhere anyway. Um, but yeah, they, they obviously need to be splitting a future first round pick um, to be to be getting those kind of three guys in with more draft capital, and that means that's you know three years in a row without a, a first round selection. They got Jason Hall Francis in last year though, so you can kind of claim that as um, as a first round pick anyway. So uh, yeah, just some, a busy busy period coming up for Port and potentially Geelong as well. It sounds like yeah. Anything to add on that one, Jack? Yeah, no, it's going to be a busy one to navigate. Um, obviously, I think, yeah, the, the splitting up that pick is going to be pretty essential to sort of unlocking the rest of those dealings. Who um, do you think is worth more? Is it actual or radical air? Uh, one's an actual defender and one's turned into a defender. And yeah. it sounds like radical air, they might have to cop up more for him. I, I think he has a high, high ceiling. Um, it's, it's obviously a bit, yeah, two different situations, but I think they're, in terms of their output, they're at a pretty similar level. Um, so, uh, but they both probably aren't going to command really high end capital in the end. So, but it does seem like radically it probably will get a little bit more in terms of just level of capital from. from pretty yeah. different in age though, too, aren't they? No, they'll, they'll be similar. I think uh, it was just 25, 26, and it was radically might be 26, 27. They're, they're not far oh, off. Yeah. yeah. They're, not, they're not like, they're reaching the peak or hitting the peak um, well, in that kind of career time frame. But yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, radically, we only tended to a defender this time last year, just over 12 months ago, where Zerk Thatcher's you know, 
been a, developed as a defender since day one. But he obviously hasn't, he hasn't played that much. It was his first full season, I think, last year or, or this year. So, um, yeah, they've both got some I think, some good ceilings and they'll work well together alongside a little bit. But um, it's just going to be interesting to see what John asks for and what Essendon asks for because they're two very firm negotiators when it comes to, to trading their own players out. Yeah. Well, there you go. Learn something new every podcast. All right. Uh, so that's the trade stuff. Let's move into the mailbag. So uh, this one came through on our video last, uh, earlier in the week about Ad North's uh, as draft assistance package. Yeah. So um, this one came from username Bilbo Baggins, which I love. Um, I've been rewatching The Hobbit uh, and all Lord of the Rings movies because I'm going to New Zealand in a few weeks. But um, so Bilbo asks, how does pick 19 this year equal Harley Reid? And what will they need to give up for pick one? So, yes, the, the, for those that haven't seen, uh, the assistant package is pretty much pick 19 for this year, which might fall back a few spots, as we mentioned before, just due to uh, a few other um, draft moves earlier in the count. And then they also got two future first round selections, but they'll fall at the back end, much like pick 19 is. It's just the, the last pick in the, in the first round. And then, um, yeah, they'll get the last two picks in the first round next year. So that gives them their pick two selection for this year. Potentially pick three, they'll have, if Ben Mackay's conversation is band one when he leaves. Um, they've got Port Adelaide's future first selection, which I think is pick 14. Um, and then they've got pick 19. So that's that's four first rounders this year. Then they've got their own future next year. And then on top of that, there's two others. That's, what, seven first round selections over the next two years. So as we also mentioned earlier in uh, the week, that they are able to trade those future picks, even though the AFL will review them 12 months time if they're still on their books. So you'd assume that those two, if you are making a trade for pick one, are uh, included in probably any deal, because they want to get them, they want to use that, that that value now, rather than, than holding on to that in 12 months time, and if they have a good season next year, then those picks could be pushed back or even taken off them. So add those two, two picks in, so you're still looking at maybe picks 19, 20, maybe a little bit later, but two, you know, we'll, we'll say top 20 picks. Um, as part of the trade hand, then maybe you can throw in 19 as well. So that's the assistance package right there. But West Coast would be wanting probably a bit more. Um, obviously, they'll, they'll love just a heap of early picks. So maybe you, you're throwing in pick two or pick three. Um, and then you might be able to get something back in return if you're giving up you know, a top three pick and um, you know three other first round selections. But that, that, that could be enough for West Coast to be like, all right, well, we're in this, this rebuild. If we can get four first-round picks for the price of one and maybe send them back, you know, they might send back their, their second round up, which is you know, not that far off um, North's first, late first-rounders. And then that might even it up a little bit, and that kind of could see Harley Red go to, to North Melbourne. It gets West Coast, maybe, you know, they'll probably ask for pick two, so they can go second in order and get someone like Dan Sherton. North Melbourne stay in the top three, so if they've got pick three in compensation, they're, they're still happy they've got picks one and three. And then West Coast all of a sudden now have you know three selections late into, into the first round, which they could still move on this year if they want. But I, I think a lot of attention is going to be placed towards next year's draft. Um, probably a bit deeper, midfield focused. So if they can get someone like Dean Curtin in, um, that'll help maybe a, a Mitch Edwards or a Colin Thilstrup if they're looking at WA names. And then in the next year a bit more of a focus on midfield um, with those couple of selections and potentially another opening pick if they get the wooden spoon in 2024. So that could work out for both clubs. Um, there's a lot, of, like I said, there's a lot of picks that North have um, that could get a deal done and they'd probably be now most favoured to get pick one if, if, they, if they wanted to um, and if West Coast were open to parting with it. Yeah. 
Interesting stuff. All right, well, there you go, Bilbo. One pick to rule them all. Uh, next one comes from Jaden Shaw. So, uh, Jack, I'll throw it at you on this one because you missed out on the um, Brownlow review. So, uh, thoughts on umpires getting player stats before voting for the Brownlow? So, obviously, a couple of shockers um, in that Brownlow count on Monday. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I don't mind it. I think you can trust umpires to not to get stats, but also not base their entire viewpoint off stats. So I think it's a good reference point for them. Um, I'm not sure, are they specifically being denied stats? Or are they just not allowed to look at yeah, them? I don't know what the go is there. Yeah, when it just seems just, like they don't use them, obviously, and, you know, and that's the point. Some people probably just think that you want to, that you can just look at stats and go, yeah, that will define it. But that's the other thing is that the whole argument against them this week is because of stats. Yeah. So like no one's come up to someone and said, oh, why didn't this guy get three votes? Because he had a he actually had a good game and looked good. They're just like you're throwing numbers up. So yeah, I think it'd be good for them to, like you said, perfect, get them access to stats, but I don't think, you know, make sure they're not relying on them solely. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, head into um, the voting with you know, your three, two, one and, and then maybe support it with stats and you can kind of fact check a little bit just to say, oh maybe you didn't get the votes. Maybe you know it was Horn Francis that didn't get those touches, but it was Miles Bergman. So, um, well, that's my take, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, that, that's the thing. So, I don't mind the idea of it being mostly based on, like, sort of an eye test, the yes. um, with the reference to stats. I think the other thing, though, is obviously a lot of these, or some of these ones, are, some of these three-vote games are being ridiculed, but I think sometimes um, not necessarily am I justifying them, or the, or the, hand, uh, the yeah. one Francis one, but... There are other things like over the course of a game, the umpires are going to see that players do that aren't going to show up in a stat sheet, yeah. for example. Um, just like things like pressure acts, just sort of just impacting contests in other ways than merely actually getting the ball. Yeah. Um, so I, I do like the idea of sort of combining what they're seeing with their own eyes at the time, and then also they can reflect back and reference stats and those sorts of things that might, you know, maybe sort of change their their viewpoint in terms of giving out votes. So I definitely think they should have access if they don't already have access. Um, obviously it's a bit of a gray area and what they actually do or don't or are and aren't allowed to see. But I, I think a bit of a balance is always good. Yeah. Do we know when they actually cast the votes? Is it like a riders it's right they get off the yeah, it's right. Yeah. Like they get off the ground and then pull it's kind of yeah, the ones of yeah one of the one of the first things they do after. Um, yeah into the rooms, yeah. cool down, and then they'll probably just discuss votes. Well, I think that's something that comes into play too, because like, yeah, you look, if you're separated from a game by like a week, it looks very different. Like if you yeah, um, that's, well, that's stats, true. Or yeah. you know, months on when all you have at your disposal is, is stats, unless yeah. you're like looking at replays. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, good one. All right, so next one comes from Jace. Should have read this name before. Uh, Della Gostino, sorry if I, um, did not do that any justice, but uh, more of a hot take. So Dacos is going to get tagged and get 10 disposals. Uh, don't know about that one. Disposals would be, uh, yeah, it's quite low. Uh, where they look to tag, I'm not really sure. It hasn't worked for a lot of sides this year. Obviously, the Finn McGuinness game was maybe a bit of an outlier. And I'm not sure if Brisbane have a player that could do that. I'm just sure that maybe. Yeah, like it's under really just be, yeah, yeah, but it, I, I think what, what you'll see from from the players, they'll be standing up pretty quick if there's any kind of uh, funny business. Yeah, but from the from the tagging point of view, yeah, I I don't know which player Chris Fagan would like to kind of take out of the game. Mm -hmm. I think he'd probably just back in his system. 
and you look at maybe you know, a Cam Rainer and a, and a Zach Bailey are probably worth too much to their system to be looking to just take Nick Dacos out. And like I said, the, I don't know if Nick wouldn't have played the second game against the Lions, but earlier in the year he, he broke loose. He had you know, two goals and 30, 40 touches, but the Lions won. So that's, some, that's one factor that they'll have to kind of remember if they are going to have to take. Yeah. What are you going to have? Have you taken? Uh, it, I think it depends on where McCray plays Dacos on the day and, and then whether Fabian's willing to kind of take one bloke and just have him go where Dacos goes no matter where Dacos plays positionally. I think for the sake of Zorko, you're probably not going to take Zorko away from you know what he's already doing in the back half and, and just sort of playing forward in the midfield, in the midfield or whatever. I, I think it's sort of wherever he's playing at the time, they might have someone put a bit of extra attention, but you know, like we said, early in the year, you know, sort of period, they didn't need to sort of put a whole heap of attention into him to kind of get the job done. Um, different story game final day, but I don't think you're going to see like a really serious tag put on him. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and the last one comes from Jaden Douglas. So um, Essendon, bottom six, middle six, or top six? Middle. I think middle, I'm trying to figure out who actually comes up. Like, you've got West Coast North will probably anchor, stay anchored to, to the bottom couple of spots. Um, you've got Freeway that probably should be playing a lot better than, than what they did this year. Maybe this, like, last year was just an overachieving year and now they're, they're back kind of on the right course and, and next year will be where they make the leap. Then you look at Hawthorne. I mean, God knows where Hawthorne could be, um, you know, as high as in the top eight. Gold Coast, what will they kind of look like under Damien Harwick. So there are a lot of clubs that either finish around Eston or below Eston that, that could be making that big jump. But I think with the Bombers not making a big difference from a list perspective, like they get from McCoy, they lose Zerk Thatcher, they might get Jay Gresham, but I don't think he's one that's making a huge difference. It's more going to be an extra preseason on the guys like Ben Hobbs, Archie Perkins, Jack Caldwell, um, you know, if they get the guys like Zach Reed fit. So it's going to be yeah, the younger crop that will make the difference. But I'll, I'll, I think I'll keep the middle six but probably that the bottom bracket of the middle six. Yeah. I'm trying to get really specific here. I think they'll, they'll probably get plastered. Well, they were past Geelong, but the Cats are probably one of the ones that, that fall down a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'll go middle six but and, and chasing the eight, but, but probably not quite there come the last round. Yeah. What are you going to Middle six as well. Um, I think we saw last season just how much parity there is or was, you know, just throughout the entire league. Um, I tend to agree, Mitch, West Coast and North probably tend to stay on the bottom. Um, I think they, even the Roos would be hoping to make some sort of a jump, um, you know, in Clark Roos second year in charge. But yeah, a lot of those teams like, you know, your Gold Coast, your Hawthorne, they'd be wanting to make pretty significant jumps again. Um, so I think with how even it all is, it's hard to say, but again, I think middle six, yeah, again, bottom bracket of middle six is a pretty good spot for them. Um, again, challenging finals should be probably an expectation. Second year in a Brad Scott as well. I think that's a possibility. But middle six is where I think they'll be. Yeah. Um, I'm still kind of in the bottom six, but the top part of the bottom six, there's just... I think there's a few teams that will go past them. Um, yeah, they're, they're kind of in that bracket of who, who comes down, who goes up. I think Frio is going to be better than the next year. Yeah, there's a lot, but bottom six, top of the bottom six. All right, 
well, that wraps it up for the mailbag, uh, and that wraps it up for the podcast, really. So we're coming into grand final week. Uh, Mitch, at zerohangout.com, what do you got in the works over grand final weekend? Yeah, busy, obviously, coming a few days. Um, you can obviously follow the game live on site as well as you can watching them, all stats, comments, uh, records and stuff to come during the game, and then post-game, you know, player ratings, um, some comments from coaches and, and whatnot. So um, plenty to, to digest before, during, and after, and then obviously following weeks trying to a lot of off-season focus and maybe a little bit of reflection on the year season that was but um you know free agency is is on friday um and then trades the the monday from that um so there's a a lot um, coming in so obviously for our mailbag segments we'll probably be ramping up um kind of more interactive content and, and look for that on our socials as well but um, it's obviously a bit busy um, next week and a half um, before we hit trade period. Absolutely. Anything in the works, Jack? A lot of the same, man. A lot of the same. Not, not, not much break in between uh, the big dance and then the, um, you know, the bigger dances, I reckon. There's going to be a lot going on, so stay tuned. A lot of dances. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Zerhang TV. Thank you. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, you can also subscribe to this as a podcast. You can listen to it uh, rather than just uh, watching it. Um, just search Zerohanger AFL Podcast on your podcast apps and catch all the latest AFL news at zerohanger.com. Thanks, boys. Thanks, boys. Yeah.